Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm excited, I guess, to be reconnecting with the world a little bit. Are you getting used to uh, being in quarantine? Uh, no, it's kind of starting to hit me now how weird it is. And I kind of feel like it's strange that more people aren't freaking out. Because uh, mm-hmm. it feels like that movie, The Purge, a little bit. One of them, I'm not sure which ones uh, or which one. But yeah, it's weird. And it feels much more dystopian than anything else I've ever experienced. It does have a dystopian feel. I do think there's going to be a lots, lots of folks who are inching closer to that tri-state killing spree that's in all of us. Yeah. Um, or most of us. Yeah. Um, Mine's actually Quattro State. <laughs> Quattro State? <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit more of a, I'm a kind of a, a, a high achiever. In a larger sense, look, um, you know, I'm settling into the routine of, uh, you know, locking myself in a house and just single-mindedly thinking about the, the biggest news story in the world, which is the NFL draft, obviously, obviously which is coming yeah. next week. I'm yeah, so glad. So. I'm so glad we get to process that together. Yeah, so I, I'm not going to quiz you on the draft this week because next week is the big one. Right. So um, yeah, a lot of stuff going on with the coronavirus, with politics, and we got a really interesting guest, an old friend of mine who's um, a comedian, a cartoonist, a podcaster. A pencil sharpener. Yes, and you might notice that um, I actually have a pencil, a David Reese pencil on my uh, wall here. Wow. A, a certificate of sharpening. Hang on. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so David Reese is one of the one of the few people. He's he's one of the most talented people I know. Very funny guy uh, in a, in a lot of realms, and he's he's got a podcast that's very apropos to what we talk about in this show. It's uh, it's an election gambling site, right? Uh, called Election Profit Makers. We're going to talk to him about the race and his thoughts on that. And uh, he has an interesting take that I actually share that uh, we're we're going we're going to get into. So, but let's start uh, with the news uh, for food groups. Republicans suck. Democrats suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that horrible uh four main categories of news and we're starting with democrats suck which I, is me this week right katie yeah that is correct a lot of a lot of stuff always with democrats suck but i'm gonna i'm gonna pick one a little close to home and i'm gonna go start with uh, a little a little shot at, at our own uh, rolling stone for its andrew cuomo cover dan do we have that, that graphic bit of an italian minstrel thing going on <laughs> Like, seriously, we really have to do this, Rolling Stone? I mean, like, what's next? Uh, you know, Lloyd Blankline doing God's work, you know? Right. I mean, How would that look? What would that look like? Yeah, it would, it would, it would be, I think you'd have Lloyd, Lloyd little backlit. Right. right, looking down at the world or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, 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 or with the Atlas. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. right? You're yeah, right. yeah. L- Lloyd as Atlas would be a good yeah. one. I mean, come on. Andrew Cuomo is just one of the, he's like one of the biggest douchewads in politics. A complete jackass, and we got to put him on the cover. I'm you sorry. You should quit. You should very dramatically quit. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think it's, I don't think that's necessary. Uh, but can you get him to come on the show now? Can you be like, hi, just doing a follow up to that photo shoot we did with you? I'd be afraid to ask that fucking crazy family. And, and I, this is a good segue into the next part of my Democrat suck portion. I mean, who knows what the, you know, you might ask a, politely would you like to come on the, the podcast and uh, you know i'll end up being choked to death or something like that uh as we now know because chris cuomo got in yet another uh incident the other brother who freighted out yeah who freighted out and i think we can we can inject here a post factum the fredo video just a, a piece of it so pe- people don't remember what happened there but uh chris cuomo the lesser brother 
the guy who's on CNN, he, he got in another incident where a 65-year-old, a longtime resident of, I guess it was Southampton, was riding by the property where Chris Cuomo apparently lives, and he saw Cuomo congregating with I guess his wife and three children or three people. I mean, he wasn't exactly sure who it was. And uh, the guy asked, you know, Cuomo what he was doing since he's supposed to be quarantining. Corona positive, right? He's corona positive. And the quote from the story in the New York Post, according to this, this fellow who calls himself David, is he said, who the hell are you? I can do what I want. And the, and the quote was, he ranted, screaming, I'll find out who you are. And the guy said to him, your brother is the coronavirus czar. And you're not even following his, his rules. And he just began to boil more. He said, this is not the end of this. You'll deal with this later. Uh, we will meet again. If that's not a threat, I don't know what it is. That's the, that's the report in the New York Post. And I wouldn't necessarily give credence to the story, except Cuomo kind of sort of confirmed it in an interview that he gave about where among other things he he sort of complained about about the difficulties of the of the life he leads and the spiritual emptiness of it and he spoke about this incident uh dan if we could hear that audio i don't want some jackass loser fat tire biker um to be able to pull over uh and get in my face and in my space and talk bullshit to me i don't want to hear it that matters to me more than making millions of dollars a year. So, in other words, making millions of dollars a year, it's just not worth it in the end if you can't tell a fat tire loser on a bike to go to hell. Uh, it just spoils it for him. Yeah. If he, ha if he has to suffer through that. I'll uh, take a million less. Maybe I'll give up a million. Yeah, like... In the scheme of things, it just doesn't make it worth it anymore if he, if he has to go through scenes like, like that. Like if he has to listen to people telling him to, to, right. to quarantine himself after he's announced to the world that he's right. corona positive. If he has to listen to people imploring him to follow um, best practices, public uh, health best practices, then is it really li living at, at all? Is it, a really, uh, is it even a life? Yeah, ex uh, yeah, right. It, 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 this is like one of those philosophy one-on-one questions, yeah, exactly, right? right? Like, right. Uh, you know, it, it's like Plato's cave. Is it, does life have any meaning right. if you're making millions of dollars, but you have to you have to answer to a fat tire loser on a bike? I wonder if you uh, could get like a youth a mercy like a euthanasia based on that. Like, do you think you could apply <laughs> for euthanasia? Being like, I just can't go on. I can't go right. on anymore. It's too painful. Yeah, yeah the, the the psychic agony of it yeah. is just too much that I had that I had to restrain myself. I had to limit myself to to uh, subtly threatening comments, uh, or I guess not so subtly. Do you think he's playing hooky? Is that why? Like, do you think he doesn't actually have it, and he was busted no. playing hooky? No, I think he probably does have it. But and you know, I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop on the side of the road and tell the guy to to not quarantine. I mean, that's not what I would do. But I, what would if, you do? I would just ignore it and keep keep riding a bicycle. So I'd hose him down. I'd hose him. <laughs> You'd hose him down. Yeah. Just the whole Cuomo thing, and we're going to get into this a little bit with date with David because with our guests because Cuomo is look. We might be end end up talking about 
the Cuomo's a lot more right. as this year goes on. Uh, but the whole family just sucks so royally. Like, you know, and Andrew Cuomo, they're, they're slashing Medicare uh, yeah, in the, middle, because, in the yeah. middle of all this, uh, you know, in order to, quote unquote, strengthen the program. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's like everything you can't stand about modern Democrats. And then his, his, his brother is like a road rage case, but like on foot, you know, uh, he, he's, he's crazy. Did you see uh, the thing where he and, and we should cut some of these in, he and Andrew are, are have these really weird passive aggressive family disputes about how they should be calling their mom and which one's their favorite. Which one's her favorite? No, I haven't. I'm not, oh, not hip great. to all that. I'm just not ready for this to be part of my life day on a daily basis. Or maybe I am. So I, I like the way Chris, though, he's very honest in some weird ways. And you can see he's not the brighter. He's the, the duller Cuomo, if you will. And uh, you can see the gears turning in his brain. Like you actually can see it from the way his eyes look. It's like the slots or something that like you see them moving. And uh, he'll he'll like. He'll be like, uh, like Mehdi Hassan was on talking about Bernie and, and Chris Cuomo brought up the Bernie bros. Mehdi Hassan was like, don't you think it's selective? They're abusive, toxic people um, who support all candidates. And Chris Cuomo was like, you are so right. Like he had <laughs> never thought of that before. And then once he said it, he totally like was receptive to it. It was kind of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think this is a. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's a person who has like his intellectual machinery has a lot of parts to it. Let's put, right, let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. And uh, and Andrew Cuomo, I want to give him a shout out for being so intersectional. I don't know if you remember this. He once said, "I'm a New Yorker. I'm black. I'm gay. I'm Jewish." Did you ever see this? We're gonna no. have to cut this into. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. He identifies as a lot of things. Yeah. Well, okay. Enough about that. Let's not be petty about Democrats. What do we have when Republicans suck? So for Republicans suck, we have all seven Supreme Court justices voted absentee, even those who hadn't in the past in Wisconsin. So we talked about this a little last week. This is a a common theme is uh, Democrats suck, Republicans suck. What's the difference at the end of the day? Uh, so last week, um, there was a the governor of Wisconsin tried to order a delay to the April 7th elections, and they uh, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin turned it down. And uh, all seven justices, by the way, had already voted absentee, either by going in early and voting in person or mailing in ballots. And so the irony is that uh, that doesn't usually happen. And in the previous five elections, a majority of the justices vote in person at the polls on election day. But what's so sick about this is that the state Supreme Court voted four to two to block the order to postpone the election over concerns about the coronavirus. Uh, And of course, not surprisingly, the conservatives voted uh, to oppose the the postponement and the uh, two liberals voted to uphold it. So it's a real case of, you know, like not living by your own rules, right? So they didn't want to postpone the the primary for the people, but they didn't vote themselves. And so what you had is, as we saw, and I think we talked about this last week, um, we had, you saw people waiting online for hours in the rain. And uh, we'll have to see soon, like how many people get Corona from that. Uh, We already had two poll workers test positive from Broward County in Florida, another place where they would not postpone the elections. So it's just kind of a, you know, a, a display of the hypocrisy that's always there. But this just happened to kind of present it in a, in a particularly obvious way. Yeah. I mean, just just once I'd like to see somebody who, who doesn't have a self-interest in in the outcome of um, a decision on whether or not to hold an election to actually vote in the other way. <laughs> you know, right. It just uh, it's been so 
like depressingly consistent along those lines. That was that was a bad one, though, for sure. I mean, in, in the middle of this crazy situation to actually try to hold that election, I don't know what would be what would be worse. I guess I mean, you would be trying to hold a outdoor football game or something. Like, what would be what would be more ridiculous than wrestling? That? Actually, which this was, I was torn between this and another Republican suck, which was the governor of Florida uh, declaring WWE. Mm-hmm. declaring wrestling an essential uh, job. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that, but I, to- I, I totally support that. So. Yeah, I know. So, okay, what's next is, uh, isn't that isn't that weird, right? Yeah. And so uh, it, it's become part of a, ha- a problem in the show is, is that I keep inverting this. My All my weirds are horrible and all my horribles are weird. So my my weird this week is just horrible. Uh, and I have this is I have to confess, I have... <laughs> I have a habit in how I consume the news, which is that I regularly just insert the word cannibalism in my Google news searches just because I'm curious to see what cannibal stories come up. Um, I, like I have another friend who used to put comma self uh, in his news searches because he was looking for uh, homicides where people killed others, comma self. Oh, right. Because right? there's always some of those in America. So that's a double, that's a suicide homicide? Yeah, like, you know, man kills dog, comma, nuns, comma, self, you know, right. like there, there's always like that story out, yeah. out there somewhere. He used to collect the headlines and pay back when people actually read newspapers. Um, but so I, I punched in cannibalism for this week, figuring that there might be like a rise in it because of coronavirus for some reason. And what we get is cannibal rats. Uh, so and, disgusting. Yeah, and Dan, and this is in New York. And Dan, let's go to the videotape. Oh no, I don't want to see it. Does yeah, it actually show rats? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, you want to see, yeah, see it and you want to listen to it. No. Oh my God. Do they make squeaky noises? When you're a savage in New York, you eat your own kind. You're next, buddy. the grossest thing i like peek through i can't even yeah like, i love the new yorkers it's like the Narrating jerky boys it. in the back of yeah where they're like this is new york buddy is, it, is this a disease or homeboy just don't care so th- apparently this is happening we're starting to see rats eating each other and, it, and, and apparently this is linked to coronavirus because what's happening is uh, restaurants are closing rats apparently aren't able to eat uh, the food that would normally be they'd be getting either in the kitchens of restaurants or outside restaurants, whatever. So they're turning to eat each other. Uh, and we saw a, a quote from in an NBC news story. It's like we've seen just like we've seen in the history of mankind when people try to take over lands and fight to the death literally for who's going to conquer that land. Um, a new army of rats comes in and whichever army has the strongest rats is going to conquer that area. When you're really, really hungry, you're not going to act the same. You're going to act very bad, usually. Not, they're not the polite rats that we're used to seeing around. Right. These aren't the civilized rats that we, you know, that we usually see, the sort of dog-sized polite rats that we oh see in God, the so New York gross. subways. Yeah. Uh, these, are the, these are different, uh, hungry to the point of eating each other rats that are now uh, all out, out in society. And, uh, you know, I think if you've read Camus, The, the Plague by, uh, by Camus, obviously rats and their behavior is a precursor to what goes on with humans right. later in the, in, in the cycle of the disease. They're like the rats in the coal mine, mixed metaphors. 
So it's very possible that two weeks, two weeks from now, we're going to be seeing, you know, millennials eating each other's heads in Williamsburg. We'll see. All right. What do we have for, um, isn't that, uh, terrible? Uh, for, isn't that terrible? We have, uh, Israeli settlers flooding sewage into farming lands near Hebron. So illegal Jewish settlers, uh, flooded sewage into Palestinian owned farms planted with grapes, uh, near the town of Beit Umar, north of Hebron in the south of the West Bank said a local source. So that's pretty cool. I mean, they're basically shitting on Palestinian grapes. Israel, are, Israelis are. Yeah, Israel, yeah. So uh, according to local Palestinian media activist, Mohammed Awad, for the second time in a week, several armed settlers from the nearby illegal colonial settlement of Gush El Zayan flooded grape farmlands uh, with large quantities of wastewater, causing grape trees to flood, causing damage. It's really gross, and uh, they were armed, and uh, they're violating international law, and they've done this before, and it causes financial damage. Also, we've seen them do this uh, with olive trees in the past, and now they're doing it with grapes, which I guess is like a... So they're pouring sewage onto grapes. Yeah. If that's not a metaphor for how uh, Israeli settlers in particular are treating Palestinians, shitting on their crops, on their very uh, delectable, tasty... Yeah, wow. They're literally shitting on something that is healthy and good tasting and sweet. Uh, well, that's terrible. I, I think we can agree that that's terrible. All right. Well, that's the, there's the four food groups. We got, we got There's a lot of interesting stuff this week. Yeah, brought um, us gra- all over the grapes, world. Grapes, rats, Cuomos. Lots to get to in terms of things we want to talk about happening in the world. And let's start with uh, a story that I'm sure was heartwarming for you which was the endorsement of Joe Biden by Bernie Sanders. Can we go to the videotape? This is triggering no matter what your politics are. With that in mind, I'd like to welcome to this conversation a leader who shares those values and has been an outspoken advocate for that vision for a long time. My friend, Senator Bernie Sanders. Bernie, welcome. Joe, thank you very much for your remarks and thank you for welcoming me me, uh, to your live stream here. Um, as you've indicated, we are yeah. living in an unbelievably unprecedented moment. You and I were chatting a few months ago, not in a million years, would we have believed that we would be talking to each other in our respective homes. Talking. That we could not, you know, do rallies, that we could not uh, get out of the house. Uh, we would not have believed Uh, that we'd be looking not only at a pandemic, which, as you indicated, has taken over 20,000 lives in our country, half a million people infected, uh, but has cost us... Look at Biden. It looks like he's learning this for the first time. That's probably a conservative number. He's Who is this again? (laughs) So we are in a terrible moment, an unprecedented moment, and I know we share the, the understanding that we've got to go forward right now and out of this in an unprecedented way uh, to address the terrible pain that so many of our fellow Americans are feeling. So today I am asking all Americans, I'm asking every Democrat, I'm asking every independent, I'm asking a lot of Republicans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, which I endorse, to make certain that we defeat somebody who I believe, and I'm speaking just for myself now, uh, is the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. 
So what was your reaction to this? I didn't even watch it. I saw it happening and I didn't watch it. Uh, it was so soon. I think people thought he was going to hold out longer. I mean, first it was Bernie suspending. Then it was, I, I mean, I thought that he'd try to get more concessions. He had promised that he'd go to the convention, which, okay, I get it. But I like when he endorsed him. I like the way Biden went, oh, it was almost like a, a quelling Jewish mother moved to tears as if he didn't know that was coming. But it also, it kind of, to me, that sounded, what I what I heard was my own, oh, like, oh my God, that's awful. Not, oh my God, I'm, I'm verklempt, but oh my God, that's terrible. And uh, yeah, I don't know why he did this early. I mean, I guess I do know why, because Barack Obama, who is so sinister because he seems so cool and likable, but we now know that he intervened, right? Just as he did with the Keith Ellison, um, Tom Perez, Skeletor, when he anointed Skeletor, basically. Did you feel betrayed Betrayed at all when you saw that image? Yeah, I felt betrayed. I mean, I I guess he didn't want to be called the spoiler that he was called last time, even though he stayed in and then endorsed Hillary Clinton and campaigned harder for her than she campaigned for herself by going to states that she didn't go to, for instance. Then this myth that he somehow hurt her campaign when he pushed her and the Dems to make them more electable, like it just never ends. I don't know what Obama told him and I don't know what deals were made behind the scenes, but people were really upset because it really was so early. I think he made a mistake, Bernie. And you know, I don't say that a lot, although I, I, I kind of uh, was mad at him last week too. But I do think this was a strategic mistake. First of all, I think it's a mistake to, I think Bernie thinks he's being a team player. I don't think he is though, ironically, because I really think that as much as his enemies call him an, a meg, you know, an egomaniac, Sanders really isn't. I think that whole scene was just totally disillusioning for me. Uh, you know, having followed Bernie for a long time and having briefly uh, be believed that he was on the cusp of doing something that was going to be transformational and maybe maybe uh, help in sweeping aside this totally dysfunctional and corrupt version of the Democratic Party that we've yeah. had for so long. Uh, to see him kind of enthusiastically embracing his old buddy Joe that way, I don't know. It was like, I, I mean, for like a, a Yankees fan, it would be like watching Derek Jeter in exactly. a Red Sox uniform, but endorsing but even worse Strawberry. than that it, it would be like Derek Jeter in a Red Sox uniform like rolling around having sex with the Ayatollah or something like that it was, right. it was terrible you know unprotected yeah. Unpro unprotected yeah it was deeply upsetting yeah and why does he like I think it's like I said this a little bit last week and I felt a little bad because I'm such a Bernie supporter and I was a bit hostile towards him last week I felt like I went through the stages of grief what is it you it's first is denial Dabbed, uh, den denial, denial, acceptance, acceptance blame. blame. No, d denial, anger. anger, anger, blame, depression, acceptance. Yeah, denial, anger, blame, depression, acceptance. So I was in denial the entire time, kind of. Like you were like, of course it was going to happen. And I didn't think it, it was going to. I kept thinking the world is in total disarray. I mean, anything could have happened. So there was the denial that I, I started off with. And then I got angry. I was angry when I, so I was in denial already. So I just switched immediately to anger when I heard that he was suspending his campaign. And I really am angry about how much I think he likes Joe Biden, how much that clouds his judgment. It's like when a guy likes a girl who's like really taking him for granted and manipulating him right. and he'll do anything for her. That's kind of what I see, not to play into that very sexist trope, but that's kind of how I see Bernie and Biden. It's like, Bernie, why are you doing this? Biden doesn't even like you that much or he does, but he's using you. You're such right. a crush. Why are you so crushing on Biden? You can do better than this. You can do better and the country can do better. <laughs> It'd be funny if we gave him a pep talk like, 
you're no one's going to love you, Bernie, until you learn how to love yourself. And the way to love yourself <laughs> is by staying in the race and running for president. But it was, yeah, it was upsetting. And also what that, like, again, why is Obama, these people are so out of touch and they're so entitled that they don't even know how to hide the optics. Like they don't even know that they shouldn't make it obvious that Obama did like a backroom deal with them. Right. Well, and that, and, that, and that dates back to, you know, the Super Tuesday situation, right? Right, right. When he told everyone to drop out, right? Uh, when there was, I mean, when there's moderate consolidation. So Obama, once he got Bernie to take the bullet and endorse Biden first, then he endorsed him because he didn't want to look like he was putting his thumb on the scale. And he obviously did. It's so ridiculous. OK, so here we go. I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. Choosing Joe to be my vice president was one of the best decisions I ever made. And he became a close friend. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. He's someone whose own life has taught him how to persevere, how to bounce back when you've been knocked down. Joe has the character and the experience to guide us through one of our darkest times and heal us through a long recovery. I mean, Barack Obama, I don't know. I don't know what to say about him at this point. I, 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 feel, I feel kind of... Uh betrayed myself because I, I really liked him at one point and during during the campaign I, I i made i really made an error in judgment in 2008 and thinking that he was something that he really wasn't but he um you know he's turned hope out he changed be, it. i hope he changed stuff yeah but even, said. even throughout his presidency I, I i thought he was operating you know trying to navigate a series of dynamics as best he could right you know in the for 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 reasons that he probably thought were the right reasons even though right. i disagreed with him now i think it's pretty clear that legacy yeah in a personal way is something that's m way more important to him I than agree, we, yeah. we probably ever thought yeah i think a lot of the issues that he had with sanders had to do with the implicit rejection of obama's legacy that was that was part of Sanders Bernie's candidacy, uh, candidacy. So I thought that was petty, you know. Like Obama ran in some ways. He ran um, as somebody who was politically a lot closer to Bernie Sanders than he was as president. And then he becomes president, and he makes a series of decisions that were really, really regrettable. And I think you could you could definitely say that Donald Trump's election. Uh, had a lot to do with things that that uh, Obama did, and I, I personally think the bailouts were a huge factor in that because um, independents, in particular, and then a lot of Republicans also as well, they were disillusioned, you know, by his treatment of the financial sector because he won in a lot of places that had a lot of that kind of populist anger uh, towards you know, the quote unquote elites. And then he comes into office and he does exactly the opposite of what he sounded like on the trail. And that had a, that had a huge impact for a lot of people. I mean, right. was, so, so he, he gets into office and then rather than recognize it, that, you know, there were failures in his campaign that had political consequences for his party. He kind of marionettes the situation. So, so that, you know, that critique loses and, uh, and, you know, his, vice president who he clearly didn't think a whole lot of you know while, while he was in office and he didn't think enough of to endorse early in the race right. 
I don't know. The whole thing is, is just yeah, not, I don't not a good think, look. I don't even think it's a failure to recognize. I think you're giving him too much moral credit. Like, I think he realizes everything and he's making these strategic choices. And again, we got, you know, who has a new book out who we have to have on is Thomas Frank. And oh, yeah. his book, Listen Liberal, is so eye-opening because it really makes the point that like all these things that we think that Democrats and Republicans disagree over and that Democrats are, they're just inept, they don't have a spine, they don't know how to fight. It's actually that they want those things. Like, it's not because they don't know how to defend them. It's because they don't want those things or they do want the deregulation or they want the banks to do ABC, uh, XYZ. And I really do think it's true. Like the legacy, the concerns with legacy, like I had already, you know, I voted for Obama and I got excited about him. I never thought he was going to be the, the real chain, like transformational figure that people thought he was. I just thought he was better than Hillary Clinton. Uh, and I think on foreign policy, he was, but then he wound up having her as secretary of state anyway, so it barely mattered. He's a little less hawkish than she is. But in typical moral sellout fashion, uh, or amoral fashion, he gives her the foreign policy. So like right. it, it barely matters. I mean, I think it was a little bit less hawkish than it would have been if she had been president. But I think, you know what really did disillusion me was when, because I kind of thought he was just a typical sellout, but kind of, a, I did think he had kind of personal honor or something. And mm. when he intervened in the DNC chair election, when Keith Ellison, who was a Bernie Democrat and a part of the progressive, uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus, an African-American Muslim, when he ran uncontested to be DNC chair, and Obama basically injected Tom Perez, a charisma-free Department of Labor uh, uh, secretary for Obama. It was so gross. And like, I know that feels weird and, and so superficial. Who cares? He droned people. He'd done all these other things. But that really did. I kind of did think he had a decency to him that he clearly didn't because he went behind the scenes and he had all of his people um, vote for Tom Perez, who no one had even heard of, who was as charisma free as you can possibly be. Like he looks like Skeletor as we've said, but Skeletor has more presence and more charisma. So I think Skeletor would actually be better than Tom Perez. But seeing him do that was really disgusting. Like I just lost all respect for him in terms of his personal politics and decency, which is so stupid because who cares about that stuff? But uh, he did this again, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's because Bernie, like Keith Ellison was the Bernie surrogate in that, in that instance. And this time it was Bernie himself. And he couldn't be, he didn't want Bernie, who's seen as an alternative to Obamaism, to succeed. And it's gross and it's petty and it's obvious because it happened like the day after Bernie endorsed him. And everyone saw them having their meetings. And, you know, Bernie had said at something last year, he said that Obama, the Democrats had a failed business model or something, which is funny. It's like the most capitalist thing that Bernie's ever said. But, uh, he said that and that because Obama was so charismatic, we didn't see it. And of course, he got attacked. But he's totally right. Obama is very charming. He has a lot of like low key swagger. He seems like he's kind of cool to hang out with. But he's dangerous. He really is dangerous in a way that even like Biden isn't, I don't think. Yeah, you know, the whole thing reminds me of this thing. They had. There's this idea that is common in Russia, which is, you know, for hundreds of years, people used to write to the czar because they they believed that whatever, all the corruption they were seeing locally or the the czar's secret police the ahrana if they were they were torturing people or doing whatever it was or seizing people's property they, they would say oh if only the czar knew right, right. like you know, like because they but they always believe that the, the the king must be really good inside and all this stuff that's going on it's just because he's just not aware you know so they would write these these long letters 
you know, like, you know, yes, Libui, if they if only the czar, czar had had some awareness of what was going on in my life. And I think people feel the same way about presidents sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, Obama was, in, well, he was an image for people. He was something to believe in. Uh, and, you know, now we're getting the prosaic reality, which is different. And, right. um, you know, it's a little, little, little depressing. So yeah, that was, that was a, that was quite a scene. Although, you know, you could argue that Bernie is making a strategic decision to, to try to, to try to beat Trump. Um, and I, just, I, yeah. I get that. I just but, think it's wrong, even if but, he was going to eventually endorse. But the, yeah, the, the, what, what he's done for the movement that he spent the last however many years trying to build, um, it's going to be pretty hard to, to yeah. Although I do think that it, it, hard of his shtick, the the not me us thing. Actually, we saw that kind of going to come into effect. I think that I think interestingly enough, as much as people critique his fans for having like a cult of personality or or having a messiah complex, what we've seen is like people are voting for Medicare for all. People are supporting Medicare for all, even if they then vote for Biden. So it's kind of the opposite of what people accuse him of, which is this like. Uh, individualistic leader obsessed movement. I mean, people are sticking to these issues. And I think right away, people are like, this sucks. A lot of people were angry at Bernie. A lot of people felt conflicted. I felt conflicted. I felt angry at him. But I also am so much angrier at the media and politicians like Obama for their outsized role in all of this right. and in their outsized role in not vetting Joe Biden. And I think that they are being totally irresponsible. Um, it's not because I hate Biden's policies, which I do. It's because I think he's just uniquely unelectable. And I think that it is kind of cool, though. I mean, you had Brianna Joy Gray, Bernie's press secretary, tweet, you know, with all due respect for Bernie, like she's not endorsing Joe Biden. I, so I don't think it's going to set the movement back, ironically, as much as you were fearing, because I think that it almost it's, it's oddly enough, almost like what Bernie's saying. It's like it's not him. It's a movement. And now he's not in it. And like people are going to have to step up. I mean, you could see it as a blow because we don't have the leader that we had before. And that's a whole other conversation. I think there's like this elitist leftist shaming of people who have, who like someone's personality. It's like, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. Like Donald Trump is a charismatic, bad leader. I think Bernie Sanders is a charismatic, good leader. Um, but he left us with some infrastructure in terms. Yeah, I just, you know, and we've talked about this before. I just think that, you know, the strategy there, you, you, you got to, play your cards a little bit closer to to try to get some concessions although to, to be fair this is an unusual situation and he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage left uh given given this uh, but he does character. kind of right like isn't the endorsement in itself leverage like he if he had yeah held off. No, of course yes but you know you could argue that that could backfire also i mean uh, who, who knows it's, he's got biden goggles on you know drunk goggles he's got biden goggles because he's he, such a crush on biden he, does. he can't he does see. i just can't watch that that's a that's a tough that's that video is tougher for me to watch than, than the rats eating each other's heads hmm, for you yeah so i'm gonna force you to watch that uh another thing that um i want to get into and i think this is going to be unpopular with a lot of folks is is the coverage of the covid disaster and how it's intersecting with coverage of Trump in ways that I'm not so sure are good. Just to take one example is the way that we're reporting on a drug like hydroxychloroquine. And it's, it's gotten so over the top. And let's just, let's just take some examples before we get into the issue. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think this is something that's worth talking about. So, for instance, last week, the uh, Ohio State Representative Tavia Golonsky threatened to take Trump to 
to report Trump to The Hague over his hydroxychloroquine referral, suggesting that this is a crime against humanity. Uh, and then we had, you know, Mika Brzezinski in this amazing clip from where she's having a dialogue with, um, with Joe about the hydroxychloroquine thing. And if uh, Dan, if we could look at this videotape. Why is MSNBC, why is CNN, why is Fox, why is any network running these press conferences where he keeps talking about an unproven drug that might work for malaria, might work for lupus, doesn't work for this. Joe, Dr. Fauci wasn't allowed to talk about what he feels is important to say about this drug that the president keeps pushing. A lot of people would say, follow the money. There's got to be some sort of financial tie to someone somewhere that has the president pushing this repeatedly. That clip kind of reminds me a lot of the Russiagate stuff, right? Where, uh Let's take fact A and then immediately speculate about thing, right. thing B that we have absolutely no evidence for, but let's just throw it out there anyway. But the, the larger point, you know, and I did a little thought experiment earlier this, earlier this week where I just started calling people in other countries to ask, you know, what's the prevailing view about hydroxychloroquine in France, in England, in Germany, in places like that, in places where Donald Trump is not the prevailing factor in press coverage. And I had one guy who was a molecular biologist in England saying, you know, when he dealt with Americans, it's like, show me a person who has an opinion about Donald Trump, and I'll tell you what that person's view on hydroxychloroquine is. And this is this is something that's starting to happen in the media, which is that we're reverse engineering how we think about a whole series of issues. Because if Donald Trump says X, then Y must be true. Yeah. Or, and let me make clear, I am not endorsing hydroxychloroquine by any means. Or Donald Trump. Or Donald Trump. I just think that this is, you know, in the middle of a situation like this, what ends up happening is that people feel so strongly about the, the Trump issue that we end up with, you know, all this sort of groupthink that goes on with a series of other issues. And, you, you know, the, the science on hydroxychloroquine is, is mixed. There's some anecdotal evidence. There's, there's, a stu- there's a couple of studies in France, one that's like more dubious than the other. Uh, but, the, you know, the, one of the main proponents in France is a pretty significant scientist over there. And there are problems with the study. And, but there are also lots of doctors who are co-signing the study. That doesn't mean that it's proven yeah. and that or that he's being responsible uh, by talking about it. But it, it I, I, yeah, see what I'm, see what I'm getting yeah at? of course, it's like the Syria thing, too. Like whatever he does is bad in it per se. And or sui generis. Is that what, what's the Latin thing? I'm not sure. Prima facie, whatever. Ex post facto. No, I know it's not that one. But no, it's like it's actually extremely dangerous. The left cannot be responsible. Our politics cannot be responding to Trump and doing the exact opposite of what Trump does because Trump will do some good things, maybe for the wrong reasons, but just statistically, not every single decision he makes is going to be bad. And you don't have to like Trump to notice that. That's what's so frustrating is that it's like the most um, powerless, neutered opposition comes from the people who whose entire understanding of opposition is whatever Trump does, we do the opposite of. Yeah, and, and it's not like people don't notice the the tenor right. of this kind of coverage, and it just makes it it it, 
it leaves people less confident in what the press has to say about something at, at a moment when we desperately need the press to be functioning, you know, uh, specifically on this level of like factuality, like what does this drug work or does it not work, right? Like you can't make, you can't make hydroxychloroquine a Trump referendum. You have to make it something that you're just, okay, what are the studies? What does it say? Like, you know, who cares what Trump says, you know, about that? And if, they, if we end up doing that about the next drugs that are in the pipeline, whether it's hydroxycytidine or whatever, whatever the next thing is, you know, that's going to be a problem. If Trump says something uh, about ventilators, you know, like, like you right. know, they're, they're, we've already seen with this crisis that there's a problem which is that group think quickly coalesces around and people are so angry and frustrated about this issue that they get, they get emotional about responding to certain things. But we're finding out already that like a lot of the things that we thought about this disease are wrong. Um, you know, right. the doctors go back and forth. Do, do ventilators actually work? You know, are, like people who are put on ventilators, their outcomes are, are almost uniformly bad. Um, at, at one point, they thought the disease doesn't actually work that way, so that maybe maybe the ventilators aren't the appropriate treatment. Now yeah. they're going. Some people are going back to thinking that actually they do work, uh, but you can't you can't get emotional about about this. You have to just wait to see how it plays out and yeah. and cover it how it comes and and try as best as possible to divorce it from the politics because people are are just they're they're desperate for information more than anything you know well it's ironic because they're acting the way that they critique trump for acting which is not intellectual not empirical kind of um you know fly by the seat of your pants shooting from the hip uh emotional yeah irrational thought and that's what trump does do a lot and then they're kind of doing it in a weird way of course, I'm still haunted by the way the DNC and Joe Biden's campaign ignored the CDC recommendation, which also puts them in that kind of Trumpian anti-science camp. And, you know, I keep thinking about um, Russiagate because uh, and something you said early on, Matt, uh, in our show was that, you know, there were so many ways that you could respond to Trump and the media, actually, you may have said this on my show before we started doing the show. The media had so many choices of how to respond to Trump, and they responded in the way that totally played into his hand. Mm -hmm. uh, they walked into his trap because he's talked about how much, the, how fake the media was and how much they kind of had it out for him. And, you know, Trump did some egregious things in terms of not doing certain, like, he failed to do a lot of things when it comes to pandemics and he like fired people and he didn't listen to warnings and he did do terrible things like he, he yeah, or the travel ban. I mean, there's a million things you could point to. I mean, yeah. yeah I but I mean, so. just for this one, let's just like just sticking on, on Corona, sure. like he has done and we should probably go over this. I have someone on to tell us all the things that he did that were so, that were wrong. But that like should have stood out as impeachable or should have stood out as egregious. And it didn't because the news was constantly talking about Russia and Russiagate. And they are like the boy who cried wolf. And they wasted their wad on that story that was not that morally significant, um, was not going to bring him down. Um, it was kind of like a self-indulgent tantrum that maybe people thought based on their dinner parties was actually going to bring him down. Um, but had no idea how the rest of the country uh, outside of like their, you know, coastal elites, not to sound like Rush Limbaugh or something, saw it. And right. I'm really angry because it's like this should what he did earlier with Corona should have been a uniquely criticized thing. Like it should have stood out and it 
hasn't and it didn't in part because they there was so much hysteria around and conspiracy uh theorizing around well, we were we were all collectively wasting the time of the entire country with this with the ridiculous ukraine gate yeah situation gate, then ukraine gate, right yeah and uh and you know nobody talks about that now and and yeah there there are things that trump is doing and i think we can get into this with our guests too in terms of um you know talking about reopening the country on you know, on may 1st and how he has the authority to do that like some of that stuff is crazy and and um and I, I am really worried about that. I just, I, I, what I really worry about is we're, we're, we're still unable to get out of the financial paradigm of our business is telling people news about Trump that they're not, that they, you know, bad news about Trump and, and they're unable to dis decouple that from how we cover the, the, the crisis. And we have to, you know what I mean? Like we desperately need the information decoupled from all this bullshit. So you should write anyway. something on that, how it's actually a public health risk to be so wedded to automatically rejecting whatever Trump says. Right. Yeah. We just, we have to, we have to not worry about Trump. I mean, there's, there's, you can definitely do the reporting on how, on his right. response, but like, like let's, Let's that look shouldn't at what, right. That yeah, should determine and, our take on something. Right, and 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 you you can you can also see it in the way that the numbers have been reported, right? Because Trump is uh, has an, obviously has an interest in in saying that the disease isn't as bad, uh, right. or the impact impact isn't going to be as bad as as we thought. And then so what you're what you're seeing on the other side is that there's this glee when, like for instance, when the United States overtook China for the most deaths, there there was almost like this. Um, you know, I told you so. Right. Uh, uh, t- tenor to the, the news coverage, and like, what's that about? Like, are we are we happy now that, that we have the most deaths in the in the world? Like, is that something that we're really American proud of? exceptionalism? Right. Yeah. There, there, there was all those sarcastic comments about how this is American exceptionalism right. now, and it, it reminded me of like, oh, we have to brace ourselves for the bad news that you know the Mueller investigation is gonna is gonna turn out that he's not a Russian spy. Like, right. like that's bad news, you know? Right. Exactly. I yeah. I don't want to go on too much about this because I because Trump, there there are things about this that are completely nuts and right. and and uh, you know, but. That that aspect of it is is concerning. no, and he's yeah, and he's like he's like I have it in my head. That's where it comes from. It's my head. I just think it. Like he seemed he's insane, and he's. But again, it's like we wind up. You and I are people making these arguments. It's almost like we wind up. It's not like we're protecting Trump. We're just trying to make people oppose him for the right things. Right. Yeah. And expose what's worth exposing. Or, or I mean, I, I look at it in a different way. I look at it as let's just not have him be a, the predominant factor in how we think about the world because he's not that he's not actually as important as we're making him out to be. Like he he, he is important, but you know, in terms of ha- trying to figure out how the world's working, we don't need him to be the primary uh, like variable in every equation. Right, and know? it just helps him again. It helps him because he's getting all exactly. this free media coverage, and that's. Exactly. And he doesn't care what we say about him and his fans don't care what we say about him. He thinks like his fans are going to be like, well, I read this thing in the New York Times. And actually, he's being irresponsible. So now I'm going to not vote for him. Exactly. Exactly. So that's just the thing. And it's 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 probably worth keeping an eye on as we look at, you know, the numbers. And, and it's going to come up again because 
you know, we're starting to see changes in how the disease is progressing, like the curve is maybe flattening a little bit here and there, and there's going to be some pretty odd media responses. I, can, I, I think we'll probably end up seeing that in the next couple of weeks. And now we're going to uh, have a discussion with a longtime friend of mine, a uh, great political cartoonist, podcaster, comedian, uh, David Reese. And uh, let's check it out. All right, so good morning, David Reese. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you? I am good. Uh, and really? Yeah, I am kind of good. And oh, all right. Yeah, all must be considered. nice. Yeah, right. All things considered. And just to get it out of the way, uh, you and I are old friends, and it turns out you and Katie have met at, at some mm-hmm. point. So this is this is not uh, introducing ourselves for the first time. Uh, you're you're in L.A. now, right? So uh, no wonder you're not doing so well. Wow, a little zing sorry, there, huh? I'm right sorry. out of the gate. Native New Yorker. You know what? I actually like LA despite myself. I, it's Boston that I can't stand. Uh, I'm glad wow. that e- I'm glad that even a worldwide pandemic is not enough to make New Yorkers turn up their nose at people in LA. No, no, never. Yeah. No, <laughs> I like I, I like I do like LA actually. This kind of insti- institutional stability is what is going to give us a, a foundational sense of safety and optimism in these troubling times. And togetherness and unity. The New York yeah. LA wars will not will not end. That would be very disorienting. So thank God for small favors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just oozes sincerity the way you said it. Said it like that. Well, we'll get it. D- David's obviously a man of many talents. Uh, I I knew him uh, ages ago uh, before we even met. Obviously, he he was a cartoonist who was famous for. Uh, uh, Get Your War On, which was an ex- extremely popular comic during the Bush years. Extremely funny. David did the uh, cover for one of my books. We worked together on a couple of projects. He, he did uh, some very funny comics about Thomas Friedman once upon a time. Uh, Back when Thomas Friedman was the big boogeyman and it's like those were quaint times right yeah that was the world is flat right oh right yeah, yeah you did you did the mustache of understanding that's right uh, yeah but I we were gonna you, we even talked about making a documentary about thomas friedman once do you remember that i do remember that we, we were we were gonna go hollywood with our thomas friedman love and you then still should. it never happened yeah i think we were like taking a walk in beacon talking about that right probably yeah i used to live yeah. in beacon yeah 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 you would call it freed man no, it was Whoa. Washington. We had that discussion. In yeah, it was in Washington, D.C. You're right. You were just getting started with the Goldman Sachs stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, we, we thought there was enough there to make a whole funny documentary out of it. Uh, but I guess that was it just never happened. Uh, and then you got into artisanal pencil sharpening, which I was showing, mm-hmm. show, showing our audiences before. David, I still have this on my wall. Oh, you put it in a in a box. That looks terrific. Right? Oh, I'm so flattered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's good. So before we get to what you're what you're doing now, can you tell folks a little bit about your 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 pencil sharpening project? So, as Matt mentioned, I was a political cartoonist, and my plan was always to quit when Bush left office. I thought that was going to happen in 2004, and it didn't. So I re-upped for another four-year tour, and then obviously when Obama won and Bush left office, I filed my last cartoon. I think on the day of Obama's inauguration, because I knew all problems were solved, and there was no reason for. <laughs> Political satire. <laughs> uh, of course, I quit that career at, uh, during a, a recession and uh, had no money. So that summer, or I guess it was 2010, actually, I got a job working for the census just because I needed huh. money. And uh, the first day of census training, you know, as a door knocker, what they call an enumerator, the first thing we did was sharpen our government issued number two pencils. 
Uh, it was not quite as cool as learning how to clean the chamber of your government-issued M16 in the jungles <laughs> of Vietnam, but it was still kind of like this intense, intense interaction with a government-issued object that you were going to, a tool that you were going right. to use. Uh, and we had these little handheld pocket sharpeners, the kind of single blade sharpeners that give you kind of like that apple peel ribbon effect mm. that's so evocative and nostalgic. And I was so much having so much fun sharpening the pencils. I was like, I wonder if I could just get paid to just sharpen pencils. <laughs> like I wasn't really excited about going around town and knocking on doors and getting yelled at by paranoid people about how Obama was going to take their guns or whatever. And replace them with sh sharpened pencils. Yeah, exactly. So I started an artisanal pencil sharpening business and I sharpened over the years something like 2,500 pencils for customers all over the world. And I got a book deal and I wrote a book called How to Sharpen Pencils that Matt blurbed. I was kind enough to blurb. And then that led to a TV show that I hosted called Going Deep, which was kind of in the same spirit. It was a how-to show about how to do really simple things really well. So like how to make the perfect ice cube, how to how to tie your shoes perfectly. Our most controversial episode was called How to Open a Door. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so yeah. So, okay. I, I got to ask about, I think we've had this discussion before, but I, I mean, I remember seeing you do uh, a stand-up performance uh, about where you read off a chapter from how to sharpen pencils. Okay. Remember yeah. That? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I got the feeling that like there was a, a sort of a middle zone between where there's joke irony and sincerity that you were kind of lost somewhere in there that at some point you were actually sincerely fully engaged in trying to document everything conceivable about how to sharpen a pencil correctly or was it always like an ironically and, and, and it was a i guess i would call it a quantum state it was um <laughs> it started out just as a challenge to myself like could i make money sharpening pencils like what how would i have to brand it how would i have to market it to get people to pay for it i was living at the hudson valley at the time which is full of artisanal this and artisanal that my yeah, you got you got that amazing apron. I had an a, I had a whole look. I had an apron. I have magnifying goggles. You know the type of thing that like jewelers and and right. um, fine workers use. Uh, so I called it artisanal pencil sharpening. Um, it was a comment on that culture and the people who ordered the pencils. I think most of them were not ordering them to actually use them. They were ordering them as like a. A lot of there was like a lot of graduation gifts, or parents would order a lucky pencil for their kid because their kid was about to take the SAT. I did retirement gifts for teachers, a perfectly sharpened pencil. Did some wedding gifts, some engagement gifts, you know, if the people were writers or librarians or something like that. But over the year, you know, over the years, like you do something enough, you can't help but be interested in like, like what is the best way to do this thing? So I invested money in all different kinds of pencil sharpeners. And when I got the book deal, I read the this incredible book about pencils by a guy named Henry Petrovsky, who's an engineering professor at Duke mm -hmm. University called The Pencil, A History of Design and Circumstance. I think that's what it's <laughs> called. And it's basically like a 400-page history of the pencil as a, as a feat of engineering, as an incredibly simple and portable and elegant and effective writing tool, you know? 
Um, and I toured a pencil factory, one of the last American pencil wow. factories in New Jersey, General Pencil. Shout out to General Pencil Company. Toured the factory. It was like Where they make that? the graph. It's uh, I think it. Oh man, it's not. It's Jersey City, I think. I'd have to check. I can't remember. Not Patterson or something. I'll look it up. But it was in a. It was in a big. <laughs> It's in a big brick building with a sign painted on the side that says General Pencil Company. And if you were driving by, you'd be like, oh, that's so cool. They turned an old pencil factory into high-end condominiums for millionaires who work downtown in Manhattan. But no, it was like still a pencil factory. Yeah. <laughs> like they were still doing it. They made the graphite in the basement. And then it was like, as you worked your way up the, the floors of the factory, you got to the top where they were painting the pencils and attaching the the ferrule, the, the little metal band that connects the pencil to the eraser. It was like wow. kind of like a Willy Wonka kind of vibe. It was really magical. So wow. yeah, it's like I couldn't help but appreciate how amazing pencils are. And then I would go out on my book tour and um, do all my, the, some of the like funny stuff in the book because the book gets kind of weird. But then at the end I would say, okay, now if you think this is a joke, ask me literally any question about pencils and I'll answer it. And it was- Where were they invented? Well, how long is this podcast? <laughs> we can do an, uh, an hour, you know, a five hour long pencil special. The earliest known source of graphite was discovered in the 16th century in England. Wow. Around the region in the west of England where, the, where there is a pencil factory. I think it's the, I mean, not a pencil factory, excuse me, a pencil museum, the Cumberland Pencil Museum. Some shepherds had found an overturned huge... Um, deposit of, of graphite and they realized they could use it to mark their sheep. They could m identify their sheep by rubbing graphite on it. They thought, they called it plumbago, which is Latin for lead, which is right. why pencil lead has always been called lead, even though it's never been lead. It's graphite. It's a mix of graphite and clay and that mixture of graphite and clay, the ratio determines the the darkness or the softness of the pencil lead. So that's the difference between like a number two pencil and like a number six pencil or whatever, right? The more clay that's in the mixture, the finer the point and the more brittle the tip and the lighter the point. The softer pencils, the ones that artists use, you know, like, like it's like just, it gets closer and closer to being nothing but graphite. It's more expressive, it's a lot messier. You can smear it, you know, there's more opportunities for shading and stuff. So pencils overall, started in, I guess you would say, the mid-16th century. And over the following hundreds of years, there have just been all these slight tweaks, you know. There's been, you know, changes to the chemical composition of the, of the graphite mixture, and then there's been innovations in, like, the barrels, you know, hexagonal barrels versus circular barrels, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it goes back, it goes back for hundreds of years. Yeah, I had no idea. You're one of the best guests we've ever had on to talk about pencil uh, history. Top five. Every, is this a pencil history podcast? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Surprise. Uh, all right. So you, you have a, uh, a podcast now called Election Profit Makers. You, I think, did the same thing in, in 2016. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of that podcast, and then I, we, we're going to want to ask some questions about um, what election forecasting is and what, what this industry that you're really covering is all about. Sure. So Election Profit Makers, it's a podcast that I host with two friends of mine, John Kimball, who I grew up with in North Carolina and I've known since seventh grade, and then our other friend, Starley Kine. Um, John, reached, was talk, John and I were talking in the summer of 2016. 
he always gets fixated on really interesting things. Like he's really into infrastructure and skylines and ranking metro areas according to population density and building height and stuff. He'll, he used to have a tower of almanacs and he would make videos about how amazing his tower of almanacs was. So he's kind of like a data nerd kind of guy. He had found this website called predictit.org, which is a website that has special dispensation to basically do online betting on political futures. They're allowed to do this because they are technically an academic research project about the wisdom of crowds in predicting political events. So the numbers that you see on Predicted are not polls of likely voters or anything like that. They are just people placing bets on what they think is going to happen. So every, every market on predicted.org is an event that either will or will not happen. They all resolve yes or no, okay? And, and you, anyone can invest. You can invest up to $850 in any market. And you use like actual money. You know, if you make money, they're going to send you a 1099 or something. You know, that hasn't been an issue for us, unfortunately, uh, so far, but that could happen. So John, in the summer of 2016, realized that the Trump supporters who were on Predicted were so into Trump that they would boost Trump's chances, his market share, you know, uh, on any Trump market. So John basically just started shorting Donald Trump all the time in all these different markets and was making a lot of money because he was like, these people are so enthusiastic, they're not, bet they're not investing Rationally. You made money because the, the the outcome was a poll or what? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of markets. Back then, it probably was like, will Donald Trump be the 2016 GOP nominee? Will Donald Trump's approval rating, you know, be such and su be in this range, this range, this range? You know, there's multiple brackets for some right. of these markets. Um, so he was just making money betting against these Trump voters. So I was like, oh, that that sounds like it could be a fun podcast, you know. Um, so we started doing it. We did it. I think we only did it for 17 episodes. We always said, we're going to end this the day after the election. It's just like my political cartoon right. career. Like I kind of hate it. So it's like, as soon as this election is over, goodbye, we retire. Um, but election night was so traumatic. John lost thousands of dollars because wow. he had bet on Clinton. He had bet on Clinton winning the general election. And then there are all these state markets. He had bet that Clinton was going to win Wisconsin. He had bet that Clinton was going to win North Carolina, our home state. So he got completely wiped out. So when this election was, was gearing up again, we were like, let's get back into it and try to like recoup some of our losses, you know, try to get some of our money back. So we've, we've started up the second season now. Of How are you doing financially? Well, I'm a little bit gun shy after 2016, so I haven't invested a whole heap lot of money. Um, John is up. John made good money on the Bernie. On, there were a lot of markets about when Bernie Sanders was going to drop out. I was convinced Bernie Sanders would keep campaigning like through the election, like would just never stop campaigning. Um, but John made good money when Bernie dropped out, which and I was surprised. That's blood when, money. When when Bernie dropped out. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, it raises a lot of ethical questions. And when you describe it, you do kind of come across as a sociopath. It's more because so, I love Bernie. That's why I'm pretending it's blood money. But but right. it makes sense in the way you're saying it also. Yeah. 
I mean, because betting money on things that do have real world life and right. death consequences feels a little ghoulish. So our standard disclaimer is we are not sociopaths. We are using this weird financial instrument to talk about our mushy feelings about the state of the world. Do you know what I mean? It's like the lens through which we're actually right. talking about all this super heavy stuff. Well, yeah, but, I mean, people get paid millions of dollars to to make predictions that they have no idea that they for which they have no basis. So why not? And also for which they suffer no consequences, right. which is kind of the subtext of the podcast, which is that there's so many pundits right. who will go out and say whatever, and they can be colossally like I think about this all the time when it comes to the Iraq War. People like Thomas yeah. Friedman, you know, and they fail up. To, yeah, exactly. At least for us, like we do have skin in the game. Like if we're wrong, we lose money. It totally <laughs> happened on election night, 2016. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of a little, it's kind of a little joke about how for a lot of pundits, like they get it wrong. Like who fucking cares? They still get booked the next day on morning Joe or whatever. Yeah. Or they and get gigs at MSNBC if they're sure. Republicans. Yeah. Right. So you've, you've got a, I think you got a trade on right now that I, that I agree with too, which is, uh, that w will Joe Biden be the nominee of the Democratic Party? And I don't know what the odds are there, but you're, you're interested in no as a bet, right? So the market that you're talking about is who will win the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination? And all the shares on Predictit go from one cent to 99 cents. And if it, if it comes to pass, it pays out a dollar. So that's the numbers we're looking at. So in this market, Joe Biden currently trading at 86 cents, which makes, you know, stands to reason, right? Um, but I bought no shares that he will not be the nominee. So I bought these, I can't remember, a few weeks ago, I bought no shares at 24 cents. So those are down 10. So I'm, I'm, I'm losing money on Joe Biden. But this is a long, this is a, you know, this is a long-term conservative investment that I've made here. This, this is, is not. Warren, like a, it's a Warren Buffett investment, right? Yeah, this Buy is not hold. day trading. This is just like we're just going to sit on this pile of nickels and just watch it grow and grow and grow until Joe Biden, until Joe Biden is not the nominee. And 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 to be clear, this market does not have any language in it about who who the other nominee, like who will replace him. It doesn't say he will lose at a contested convention. It's just yes, no. Will this guy be the nominee? If he wakes up tomorrow morning and, and trips on a necktie and falls and hits his head and goes into a coma and is not the nominee, then I get paid. And or, he'll be not that different from how he is right now. Right, which is kind of, I think, what made me get into this market. Watching that basement video of his... Oh I mean, God. it was kind of like, I don't know if this guy has it in him, man. He's not, the, I mean, like cards on the table, putting aside, putting aside his history, putting aside his votes, putting aside the bankruptcy bill. I understand Joe Biden's appeal. I think back in the day, he was incredibly charismatic. Yeah. And I'm not talking ideology at all. He's, when Joe Biden talks about America, like, come on, guys, this is America. Let's go get them. I like as an American, I'm like, fuck yeah, man, I'm into it. Like, let's do it. Roll up our sleeves. Like Scrappy Joe. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I get that, you know? But the the work he's had on his face I know. And, and and the basement videos, it was just like, this is not Joe Biden, man. I don't know if he's gonna bring it home. Now, I haven't bet here are the other people who are in this who are listed in this market. 
there are 32 other people that you can buy into. Andrew Cuomo is coming in on a, on Biden's heels at six cents. Everyone got obsessed with Andrew Cuomo in contrast to the president. Then, you, of course, you have Hillary Clinton at four cents because people always have strong opinions about Hillary Clinton, so they'll always dump their money into that market. Kamala Harris at two. Bernie Sanders, you're not going to like this. One penny per share for Bernie. Because he's a working man's candidate. Oh, it's... <laughs> They can only afford right. one penny. Wait, can you All buy the- can you buy and sell these shares? In other words, like can can you buy can you buy Cuomo when he's looking less likely, and then uh, when there's a surge of publicity? Absolutely. I mean, it's just like it's it's like the market. You can buy and sell whenever somebody matches your offer. So our co-host John Kimball is is loves to ride these waves where let's say Andrew Cuomo has an amazing press conference or something, or has a charming banter with his husband. I mean, not with his husband. With, with his, his brother? Bro- with Freudian his brother. Slip. It's very, right. a lot of charge. His brother, his brother husband. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then his stock might shoot up, and then you could, let's say you bought Andrew Cuomo at six cents. Let's say you bought 500 shares of Andrew Cuomo at six cents. He has a great press conference. Two hours later, he's trading at 12 cents. You can just sell your shares for 12 cents and be done with it. You know, you don't have to keep your position until the market's resolved. Is Chris Cuomo on that list? Can you tell Gosh. us who else is when on When we go list? down to the bottom, it gets pretty, it gets, we do some deep cuts who, down. Who's here. at the bottom of the yeah, list? Yeah, I want to know the bottom, yeah. You got Deval Patrick trading at one cent, just like uh, Bernie. Bernie and Deval are at the same one? Oh Everyone's my God. Everyone's at one cent. You got Marianne Williamson, Jay Inslee, Tulsi Gabbard. Andrew Yang. Actually, I'm surprised Andrew Yang isn't a little bit yeah, higher too. given the, the nature. Gang? Yeah, the nature of his supporters and, and the nature of the predicted culture. Beto O'Rourke, hanging tough, one penny. Michael Bloomberg. This is just Oprah Winfrey. Oh, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, oh, who, are are the who are the non-Pauls? Who are the non-Pauls? You got, you got Oprah Winfrey, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, I might get into that. Yeah. Uh, my personal hero, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm, and nice. then, so here's something interesting. One of the things that we talk about a lot on election profit makers is, are we using predict it as an investment or as a wishing well? Right, exactly. Right. So I have shares in Elizabeth Warren being president just because she was, she was my choice and I love her. It was, I paid four cents a share back in the day. After, I think after she had dropped out, but it was like, damn it, Liz. I'm 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 still riding with Liz Warren. I'll just let me put this intention out into let me put some in, this intention out into the world and throw these pennies into this wishing well that Elizabeth Warren is going to be the president. So the but universe it is, manifests it. Yeah, it is kind of s- sober when you see that Elizabeth Warren's chances are the same as Dwayne the Rock Johnson's chances. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Michael Bloomberg chances. But that's what's that's what's intense about predicted is it when the and remember these are not necessarily rational actors who are who are setting these prices and driving up share prices but when you look at (laughs) the fact that bernie sanders and elizabeth warren are both at one cent and are below hillary clinton and andrew cuomo it's just so sobering and kind of like it can get pretty depressing well well that's that's rational to me a little bit because Cuomo is a more likely, and even frankly, Hillary Clinton is a more likely person to be put forward on a second ballot at the convention than either of those other folks, right? Okay, and what about Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Well, okay, no. Toss up, not. toss up. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
I kind of think they're going to try with Warren. I know, Matt, you think that's stupid. I th- I have this feeling they're going to try no to way. throw some progressive meat at the. All right. That's Wait, crazy. what's going to happen? I have this theory that they're going to nominate if and when by uh, Biden sunsets permanently mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to name Warren. They'd named Jamie Dimon before they named Elizabeth Warren. There's just no way. My theory, though, is that they'll name Warren because they want to placate the Bernie people. And um, yeah. why would they want to placate that? They didn't placate the Bernie people during the race. Dem exit. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not I'm not. Be- I'll bet a couple pennies on that. I'm not sure. But I'm just saying I, I think it could happen. And why do you think Joe? So you you guys are like me. Right. On some level, you're like, I just don't see Joe Biden as the nominee. Yeah. So I, I tweeted after Super Tuesday, there were a whole bunch of people who were who were basically saying like, OK, are you ready to say that Biden is the nominee? And I tweeted something to the effect of there's a million scenarios that can happen between now and the convention. And people took that to understand that I still thought that Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee or oh, that he had a big chance. And uh and that's not what I thought. I thought. I thought. Yeah. Right. Right. What I actually yeah. thought was just that there's a, there are, there are lots of things that can happen between now and then, and other people um, are going to pop up and and become the flavor of the moment. Uh, and Biden just I, I just don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to to hang in there like, the right. same way same way as you you know. Yeah. But the ironic thing is the coronavirus. Although it's keeping him in his basement and making him look weak, you know, it's like when when the economy crashed during the 2008 election and then McCain suspended his campaign and went and gave that weird talk in that low ceiling green room. It looked like a hospital right. morgue or something. And that kind of, for a lot of people, I felt kind of doomed his campaign. Do you remember totally. that? It, yep. it was just like, this dude does not look like he's up to the job. So on the one hand, I think the coronavirus is is putting Biden in that same situation. On the other hand, it's kind of the best thing for him because he doesn't have to run around expending right. a bunch of energy doing rallies and, you know, like... Forgetting what he's saying mid-sentence. Yeah, just like he can be down in the basement and talk on, on his own terms, right, to whoever he wants to talk to. And um, I don't know, at the last debate, he seemed like he had a little more pep in him, so who knows? Maybe yeah. he's just saving up his energy for an intense, old-school Joe Biden rage-gasm you know, in the summer and fall before the election. I, I think know. it could work against them, though, because I'm not I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I, I still think it could work out depending on how how many of the primaries get held, that he's going to go to the convention without 1990 delegates, which means that they could put anybody on the second ballot. And you and your pick is Jamie, Jamie Diamond. No, I'm, it's not my <laughs> pick. I'm just saying that, you know, your prediction he, is before it would be Diamond before Warren. Right. Like, you know, God knows when Tom Perez and whoever else is actually running things at the D and, and, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer get together, who's going to be their choice to be uh, on the second ballot? I, I just can think of lots of possibilities there. If, if Biden doesn't win it outright through votes, then all sorts of scenarios are in play, aren't they? Can I nominate Chris Cuomo? Can I put him on the list if he's not there yet? You can you can send an email to predict it and, and request a All market. Right. Sometimes they take <laughs> they're like bands, you know. Sometimes they take audience requests. Yeah. If you're fixated on Chris Cuomo. Roger Stone. I'm just trying to think of people who would be if you want to get into Roger Stone, I think there used to be a Roger Stone market about his indictment. 
Oh, you know? okay, yeah. So it's not just it, the markets are not exclusively about politicians, but right. they do have to be politics adjacent. So there's a market like will Rudy Giuliani be pardoned right. of a That's felony right. by the end of the year? That type of stuff. I like it. So for the, for the general election, here's a question I have. I'm looking at the, the, the current situation and it's Trump's at 49 cents, mm-hmm. Biden's at 44 cents. Right. So there's an arbitrage there versus the polls, right? Like you could. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. So, so this is what you were talking about last time. There's, there's Trump people who are wish casting right. on these, in these markets. Shouldn't you, I mean, it didn't work out well last time, but shouldn't you be able to make a big trade there and make some, make some serious money? There's arbitrage there, yes. And then there's also arbitrage in different markets that are worded slightly differently because according to the regulations predicted, I think can at at any market at any given time, I think can only have 5,000 shares. Uh. And so in addition to saying like, who will win the presidential election, you know, Donald Trump 54, Joe Biden 49 or whatever it is. There can be another one where the language is slightly different, but getting at the same thing. And a lot of times there's, there's, there's uh, differences in the, in the prices of those markets. And so if you're sure of, if you feel like you have an inside beat on objective reality, you can also make money that way. Hmm. But in terms of the current numbers, yeah, it, if predicted was polling, if the predicted numbers were like, you know, scientifically uh, rational polling, then I think Biden would be a lot more worried than he probably is right now. Hmm. You can, know you, I mean? can you have predicted on pundits like the like the market of whether Chris Eliza will get it right, whether Harry Enten <laughs> will get it right? They don't do that because I think that is too far a field of politics and right. it's kind of like outside their purview. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, I mean, I wish it was all current events, you know, that would yeah. be, that would be great. But for instance, like on a more serious note, if you go to predict it and use the search function and search COVID, like they don't have markets on like the coronavirus death toll or something. Do you know what I mean? Uh, probably for matters of taste and also because it's just, it's too it's unknown. Not, it's not their wheelhouse. Like okay, it's yeah. not politics. And right. this thing is supposed to be about politics. So I don't think there's any Chris Saliza markets, although I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind shorting Chris Saliza. Yeah. Although that's probably a bad bet. I mean, guys like that. This is the whole point of the They're thing, awful, right? Guys right. like Chris Saliza, they just keep going and going. going. It's like the ener- yeah. Energizer bunnies of bullshit, yeah. you know. Yeah. And they it's, just keep. It's almost keep seems like they're rewarded. The longer they are, the better they do. Yeah, I wouldn't right. short any any of those pundits except like maybe me. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. I, I would uh, like. I wouldn't short Friedman or or David Brooks or any like I would. I would I think I, that's a long bet for me. There, are, those are blue chip stocks. You know, blue that's chips. how you. Yeah, those are the blue, blue chip checks. stocks. They're blue check stocks. Oh, blue check, blue chip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could have a mutual fund. What about? It's like an index fund of of, of the major. Of shitty of, pundits. Yeah. Yeah. Just the major, most famous pundits. Like, you know, that stock will just incrementally rise so over gross. the years. So you know, like, then Brooks puts out a book about how we're losing our moral character and his stock goes up one cent, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> just slow and steady. That's how empires are built. Right? You know? He should yeah, put probably. out a cookbook, David Brooks. Yeah. Uh, Brooks uh, Cooks. Brooks Cooks, a guide to sandwiches for the working class or something. 
Oh, right. Because yeah. he took his friend to a deli and there was yeah. prosciutto and his yeah. friend had an aneurysm or something. Yeah, exactly. She couldn't deal. Yeah. What about, um? do you guys see that uh, Joe Biden has a podcast now? Now, that's a great thing for him to do. Because as we know, and Dan, our producer, knows full well, there's a lot of editing potential there. Yeah, so, I wonder uh, who's editing that podcast. I wonder what, if, how many copies of Pro Tools they burn through. Yeah, I know. Seriously. I know, trying to like glide through, cut cut the words, the extra words or the offensive gaffes without making it obvious that you've made a cut. That's an art. There's an art to it. Can I ask you guys a question about a market? Because I do have a position in this because a couple of weeks ago we interviewed my friend's son who was a 12-year-old Biden bro. Oh, he, I saw that. He loves Joe Biden. So I asked this kid, Beckett, who should I invest in as Biden's vice presidential pick? And he gave me a name, not someone I'm particularly fond of, but I did put my money where his mouth was and I invested in Amy Klobuchar at, 20, at 23 cents, now trading at 27. So I've made a bit of a return on that. But Kamala Harris is the leader at 32. Is that is that who it's going to be? I'd put my money... You know, that's a tough one. I might actually come around to your position on that one, David, because even though he's promised that it's going to, his running mate was going to be a woman of color. Warren, that's who it could be. <laughs> Wait, he, he didn't say a woman of yeah, color. He said, he he said, said, well, he said probably he said the vice president would be a woman. And then I think he said he would, he would appoint a woman of color to the Supreme Court. I think that's what oh, it was. I thought he said he suggested it would be a woman of color, but didn't promise promise and then promise a woman, woman of any background. Oh, we're getting a woman. Yeah. We're so, glo I mean, maybe a hint was that he called Klobuchar Globachar the other day, which may be a sign that they're like, maybe he has a nickname for her. And that nickname is Globy. the result of their, of Globy, yeah. Um, I think he should go with her only so she can open every rally with Donald Trump. I wonder how his hair would fare in a blizzard. <laughs> is that, that a zinger that she has? Klobuchar has this joke that she tells at basically every public appearance. And there's been a mashup done of all the different times that she's told oh, this God. joke. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's like, it's like, it's like having a, you know, a nail shoved under your fingernails. Uh, basically. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I, you know, it's going to be either, I think it's going to be either Kamala or, or Klobuchar, but I can, I can definitely see, the uh, internal thinking of the people in the Democratic Party drifting towards Klobuchar at the last minute. Um, no over Stacey Harris? Abrams? Over Harris, yeah. Stacey Abrams is no trading Stacey? at nine cents. Oh, I'm a wow. fan of Stacey Abrams, but I don't think she's good. I like no her because she tries to stay in the race. But if Biden and Kamala run together, they need to come in on separate buses. Like that has to be their arrival when they announce it. <laughs> so there's a busing met metaphor. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. one has to get off. Joe Biden then has to invite Kamala Harris onto his bus, and then she gets on the bus, and they're on the same bus together, and they drive off, and then they announce it or something. Yeah, are they sitting side by side? Yeah, no, she's sitting a seat ahead of him. You think yeah. it's gonna be Klobuchar? So Klobuchar is underpriced here then because she's six. Actually, she just dropped a cent while we were talking. Really? I think the markets did not respond well to that supercut of Klobuchar talking about oh Donald God, Trump's it's so hair. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kamala Harris is 32 and Klobuchar is 26. Warren is 10. So here's an example of, and, and Gretchen Whitmer has dropped. That's an example of a wave. When, um, when the president was, was dissing Gretchen Whitmer, I'm sure her, I'm sure that's the first time she probably popped up 
on this board as a vice presidential pick because it makes sense, right? Michigan woman, like right. Which makes what's me not think to he like. Wants her. Yeah. He wants her. Um, but now that's faded. Yeah, um, but and she's dropping. Think think about how people uh, like you go back to the last election, and how do you how do you end up with Tim Kaine as the pick? And you, it, you just have to go through what's the thought process of people who would make that decision. And they're, they're trapped in this old paradigm where it's, well, this person Moderate. can deliver, this person can deliver that state and is and signals to moderates and independents, blah, blah, blah. Do you, you think know. that's still the logic that, that Biden's people and the party will be using even in spite of everything that's happened? They haven't learned from anything else. They haven't learned from anything else. Yeah. So I think they're going to, if they're, if they're looking at the, you know, the, the regional issue, why would you pick someone from California? You're going to win California. Yeah, right. You know, and that's an argument against Kamala Harris. It's like we already yeah, have I mean, that stage. What does she yeah. bring us? Right. right. Also, you know, I mean, I, I could see them thinking, all right, well, we need to do better with black turnout than we did last time because that was just, that right. was, uh, but, but that's already a strength of Biden's, actually. So that's why he won. I mean, that's, that's, that's why he won Super Tuesday because right. of South wow. Carolina, right? Right. So I could, because I could Jesse totally Jackson see. didn't endorse before, but after. And because the moderate consolidation, let's never forget, and the media. Sorry. Yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna say they're gonna say Klobuchar is somebody who's gonna appeal to independents and voters who are on the fence, and ha- and she has the regional balance that they're looking for. What I liked about her was that I liked watching her attack Mayor Pete. That's when I she had the most. Uh, wow, those two guys oh put them God. on a bus together. Watch the sparks yeah, fly. Uh, hey, hey, David, as a as a comedian which you also are, obviously. Uh, no? Well, I haven't done stand-up in many, many years, but I didn't, I didn't mean to derail you with my self-loathing. Go ahead. Okay, if it turns out that way. Is a Biden-Trump general election, is that funny or not? Is it funny or horrifying? Can well, it be a tr- tragic comedy? I, th- I don't know. I think about this sometimes, you know, because I'm not a political cartoonist anymore. And obviously during the war on terror, there are a lot of horrible things happening that you had to make cartoons about. But I don't think... Yeah, you, you, you made the invasion of Iraq extremely funny. Well... Even funnier than it already was. The, there's something about the way... Maybe it's Twitter or how media works now. Like, the people I know who are still political cartoonists, I think are pretty ground down by the Trump administration. I think the noise of it and the, just the, the chaos of it, you know, like say what you will about George Bush and invading Iraq. There was a logic behind it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> At least it was it, an like, ethos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's what I'm going for. An exactly. There's an ideology behind it. It yeah. wasn't, I mean, it was chaos because they did no planning and they had no understanding of the region, but the decision-making itself did not feel as noisy and chaotic right. as what comes out of right. the, the Trump White House. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was a neocon. I, he was running, he was governing. Right. Dick Cheney was governing through Bush as a neocon. So it kind of made sense. And you were like, okay, I oppose this for blah, 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 blah. And those, that's the perspective of my cartoons. But like, I get it, Project for a New American Century, all that stuff. With Trump versus Biden, you know, I guess if you dig deep enough and look at the kind of tectonic things that undergird so much of American life, there's still logic to it, right? Rich people just want to make more money. White people hate black people, you know, like that stuff is still there. You just have to kind of like 
you know, like disentangle all these vines of chaos that are like obscuring your view of what's still actually undergirding so much of our lives. But I think if I was still making political cartoons about Trump, I think the challenge is Trump is just such an obvious horrific target and he's just such a fucking bloviating fat orange idiot <laughs> that of course that's going to be your first target but after a while it's kind of like he is uniquely like i do think he's like one of the worst americans of all time like just like if just like near the bottom of any list of all americans not presidents just all people um so he's an obvious target, but I think it must be, it must take a lot of work and a lot of discipline to be like, okay, but put him aside. Like well, nobody Ellie, cares about his right. hair in a blizzard. Like that's right. not the thing, you know, and to dig a little deeper. This is a long winding way of saying that I think if I was still doing com political comedy, the Biden Trump head to head, I think would we'll, we'll just be innervating and just depressing. I mean, it's going to suck. I mean, that this is going to be, the death rattle of the baby boomers, like literally and figuratively, it's like two old baby boomers slurring and stumbling around <laughs> each other because old people aren't willing to like let young people make decisions yet. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I remember when Obama was elected, I was so excited because I was like, that's it. No more baby boomers running anything, you know? And then sure enough, they just couldn't let go. They brought back the most baby boomer dude of all time, Donald Trump, as a rejection of Obama. Ellie right. Valley, who we had on earlier, the, cart the political cartoonist, Ellie uh -huh. Valley, yeah, he yeah, does yeah. a lot of stuff that's not, I mean, he's great. And he, I think part of the reason he's so great is because he doesn't just focus on Trump, which is Sure, really yeah, right, yeah. yeah because he can turn into a lot of noise um, and it's such low hanging fruit. I do think that a Biden Trump uh, race would have its own d dynamic that would be disturbing and also unintentionally hilarious. Um, and I also think I've said this before, but Trump is sometimes unintentionally hilarious himself, like not trying to be. And, and there's uh, sometimes he's even intentionally funny, kind of like on a, on a level where it's funny that he thinks he's being so funny, having a nuclear power, the you know the, the leadership of a nuclear power with like the most money in the world decided by two g people who b basically can't sp speak right. <laughs> and, right. uh, is, yeah but it's kind honestly, of funny I mean, least, but trump is at least fluid he is fluid speech. yeah well it's but i mean it's it's, it's nonsense fluid, but the, yeah. yeah the river doesn't really make sense no like, it's a it's a total river of of nonsense but you're the, just talking acoustically like acoustically, the waveforms are less halting than joe biden's yes. waveforms yes but listen the thing i have to keep reminding myself because like i'm not super excited to vote for joe biden but it's like i'm not voting for joe biden man i'm voting for the deep state bring the deep state bring all the fucking oh, scientists where you and, and, Matt, wow. never, right, yeah. you and Matt are going to disagree here totally yeah. I've, the coronavirus has turned me into the number one deep state fan of all time. Mm -hmm. People who work in shadowy rooms making charts and graphs and shit. Like, that's who I need back in the White House. I don't give a shit if Joe Biden is there. Like, who cares? The things I want are Stephen Miller out of the White House and then a bunch of nameless, faceless career scientists and politicians who will like just handle the shit. I'm not talking about deep state like, oh, and then they're gonna torture people in the CIA and black sites or anything. I'm yeah. not talking about that type of deep state. I'm talking about like the like the medical, people who know what medicine is, like that type of, people who know the difference between a virus and a germ. 
like say what you will about Joe Biden. Yeah. But his virus response or Hillary Clinton, for that matter, you think Hillary Clinton would have just sat on her hands and, right. and downplayed the uh, like 20,000 people have died because of Donald Trump's personal decision making style and his own vanity. That would not have happened if if Hillary Clinton and all the centrists that we love to hate were in the White House. It just wouldn't have happened. That, Tens of thousands of people would still be alive. That was actually earlier on we were talking about this. And for me, that's one of the main things that I think there's a big difference in, which is the like how how to respond to a how to respond to a plague. Um, I do think, though, we talked about this a lot. The way that the Biden campaign and the DNC pushed people to vote during Corona was doesn't take away from what you're saying, but it was kind of like something I didn't think the Dems would do. And that yeah, was and I, and I, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that one, David. I think the response would have been basically identical. <laughs> they they uh, you know, if you look back at the comments from the Democrats at the time, you know, that was barely an issue. It wasn't mentioned in any of the debates until. It, it well, the, the, I mean, the, the, something being mentioned at a debate is different than somebody getting a briefing from yeah, some I, I intelligence service being like, holy fuck, something's going on in Wuhan, China. We need to get ready. Yeah, but there, were, just, de there were Democrats who were at those intelligence briefings as well in Congress, and they didn't really. Mm. I, I, I think they would have handled it better. I do. But I don't know how much faster they would have done it. You know, I think I think that, you know, like they're talking now about these lost two weeks, like right. where if, if they had done something two weeks earlier, like mm. thousands of people, would, I would I would give them two weeks. I have that much faith in them as you know, that's actually mean. a good metaphor. The difference between the Republicans and Democrats, two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Right. But th this is what I'm saying, though. I know it. it there are some yeah, situations in which two weeks makes all the difference yeah, in the true, world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It makes a huge fucking difference. I understand incrementalism is not exciting, but there are situations in which an incremental distance and and there are situations in which an incremental difference is actually a massive difference, right. especially when you're dealing with something on a logarithmic scale, right? Or when, so. in which case, when the, the status quo is a lot better than, right. which is a very off-brand thing for me to say. Um, I do think that when we're criticizing Biden, like in the way he speaks, it's not even because, okay, I don't like Biden, but I'm not saying this as a kind of a critique of Biden and his policies. I just think he's a terrible candidate. And so that's what right. I think yeah, is yeah, so yeah. scary. And like, whether or not you and I and Matt, uh, regardless of whether we think he's better than Trump, I do think he's uniquely vulnerable to Trump. And I'm so, I'm really angry at Obama for, because I feel like the natural selection that could have happened didn't because of this intervention. What do you um, mean? Well, I think that by, without, the, um, without the moderate consolidation and without Obama talking to Bernie Sanders, um, and about, without him talking to all the other people earlier on, I don't think Biden would be the nominee. And without the media- who would, who would be the nominee? I, I mean, I think it would have been Sanders. And that's not because I like him. Like, I think that, I mean, you could say that they would never have not intervened and it wouldn't have been Sanders. But if the media had been at all even-handed and in, like Chris Cuomo said about Biden, this was his best debate ever. He was alert the entire time. That is something- that should have been remarked on the entire time. And I don't, and, and, and to be fair, I thought that there were, at the beginning of this primary, I thought two people could defeat Donald Trump, Biden and Bernie. And I didn't, so my thinking someone's electable is not linked to my liking them because I, uh -huh. I really don't like Biden, but I thought he was electable. And then as the election went on, I thought, started to think he's not because of the way he's, honestly, because of the way he speaks, doesn't finish sentences. 
And I think that the way he's been kind of like handled with kit gloves is going to just be terrible in the general because he wasn't vetted the way he should have been. Just behaviorally. I agree with some of what you're saying, but I, B Bernie Sanders lost on his own. He just did. I'm sorry. I mean, I like Bernie. I voted for him in, in 2016. Yeah. But his coalition, I think the point we talked about this on our podcast, I think it is incredible, must have been incredibly poignant to Bernie to realize just how many of those 2016 votes he got were not votes for a revolution and were not votes against the Democratic Party establishment and politics is normal. They were votes against that bitch, Hillary Clinton. I heard, uh -oh. yeah. And, uh -oh. I heard you say uh -oh. that. No, I heard you say that on your podcast. I actually, I, okay, so. Because which, he did not, he, he, he got a, a smaller share of the votes. But wait, which ones are you talking about? Which, which, revolution. Prim which primaries are you? Four years. Oh. The most popular politician in America. Incredible name recognition. And what happened? He got his ass kicked by Joe Biden. Yeah, but this was after, I mean, okay. First of all, people were making that point when he was running against everyone, which is a ridiculous point. Like when, when, his, when his numbers went down, but he was winning. Um, uh -huh. I, I mean, MSNBC, you're not saying this, but just, just as to me an example of the entrenched media bias against him, which was so bad that you had a woman on MSNBC's town hall who was asked by Ari Melber who she was voting for, and she was not a radical woman because she said that she thought there were a bunch of good candidates, including Elizabeth and Michael Bennett. And she voted for Bernie, she said, because MSNBC was so cynical in their treatment of Bernie, and she couldn't stand it, that she kind of voted for him out of spite. And she mentioned the fact that they kept pretending that he had gone down in popularity because his numbers went down between 2016 and now, even though he was running against multiple people versus just Hillary Clinton. But you're talking about it when it was just him and Biden? Is that what you mean? I'm talking about South Carolina and Super Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with David here. But how can we isolate it from the media stuff? I mean, Matt, your argument- I just, I think the media stuff is maybe true, but I think in the end, I mean, this is just my gut. That. This is my gut feeling. Sure, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Like if he's gonna win the election- He's, he's going gonna to have over, to overcome yeah, it. He's gonna, I mean, he's gonna yes. have to overcome that. Although right? I still think- yes, Donald Trump did. Trump did, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. they gave him all this free media. And I understand what you're saying, whether or not it's like, okay, the media was unfair, but he had to either overcome that or not. I do, what I find frustrating is that I do think he would have done better in a general. I always thought he had a better chance to win the general than the primary. I get it, I get it. It's like, you can't, you can't wish away the media bias. Uh, you can try to call it out and, and demonstrate it, but it's not gonna disappear. That's, so. I mean, look, it's a factor, but he, he, he had plenty of opportunities to win in spite of it and didn't. All right, well, we don't have a whole lot of time. So uh, David, for the general election, what, what, what's, your, what's your plan? For, for a trade. Going You're asking, forward. are you asking me who I think is going to win the general election? Yeah, basically. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a different thing. I got to go with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I mean, <laughs> everybody likes him. He's got good media, multiple and movies, multiple hit movies. Really good in ballers. Jumanji. Yep. Uh, also, he has a multiracial background, so he's very appealing to different mm -hmm. uh, ethnicities. And in a very interesting sign, uh, the governor of Florida just declared WWE essential service. service. So if that's not a sign and that's not an opening, yep. I don't know what is. That's incredible. You're right. Yeah. Exactly. No, I don't know. I mean, this is how we lost all our money in 2016, but I think any Democrat can beat Trump. And it's just a question of, um, 
I don't know, just making sure the wheels don't fall off the wagon between now and November. <laughs> I think shorting shorting Trump is a, is a logical trade. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's. I mean, he's unpopular. The coronavirus is really bad. I don't think it. I don't think people will have forgotten about it by November. Um, I think the economy is fucked, and um, I think he knows that, and that's and that is the that is what is that and his own vanity is what is going to drive his response. And I think it's just maybe going to make it worse. Not hoping for that, but I do think that if that comes to pass, he's going to be like pretty vulnerable. And I also think that the legendary voting block of suburban white women are just fucking sick of him and are sick of seeing his face. And uh, so I think that works well for Democrats. Wait, so Biden, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were soccer moms in 96. They were security moms in right. 2004. What are they now? I don't know, just tired. <laughs> just tired moms, you know? Retired and tired. Retired, maybe, yeah. Maybe it's grandmas, you know? Or people right. who are, people who are, people who are locked at home with their kids, with their two kids and have never had to deal with their kids for 24 hours because they're working professional women and right. they're totally running on empty like so many of us are. And then they turn on the TV and they got fucking Donald Trump screaming in their face about disbanding the World Health Organization and yeah. not funding it. Yeah, it's like, they don't, scary, they yeah. don't, What's wrong give me that? sleep. They're like, give me sleepy Joe. I'm sleepy. I right. relate He's to relatable. this guy. He's relatable. We're yeah. all tired. <laughs> like, I don't want a human Adderall <laughs> pill as a president anymore. More. Although we think he may have taken, but, but Sleepy Joe may have been on Adderall the last debate. Oh yeah, he yeah. was. He was. Yeah, he was. He was like the guy in uh, in uh, Star is Born, smashing oh, yeah. Adderall with yeah. the heel of his boot. Great movie, yeah. <laughs> but I like that Joe Biden. Like, go ahead, Joe. Like, whatever gets you through the debate. You know, yeah. like seamless but, lying. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Anyway. So, uh, so where, where can we find election profit makers? Uh, election election profit makers is on all major podcast platforms I don't, excellent I don't know. does that sound like i know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah no no it does okay. it does uh our, it's uh, funny it's good i liked it oh thank you david thank you so much for uh for coming on yeah, and thank uh, you. Good, good luck and i hope you make lots of money it's great to see you guys yeah absolutely david let's we'll, we'll catch up right. okay take care yeah, take yeah. care yep bye. bye wow i feel like i just got my war on <laughs> you just got your war on. We both did. We both had little disagreements. That's good, though. We did. Yeah, we should have more of those. Yeah, mine was yeah. over the Bernie stuff, and yours was over deep state stuff. I was basically I was between you and David on deep state stuff because I do think that like the expertise of the World Health Organization is important, but I also think that the CIA is bad. That's my. Well, health. I'm not. I'm not anti World Health World Health Organization. I guess they're not I'm, deep state, right? They're. Yeah, ex- I'm. I'm but, anti CIA and. Yeah, me yeah. too. Okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think he's referring to more of an expertise. I mean, I think like it's deep state and deep science. Right. I, I did, but there's a whole like universe of people who spend all like who spent the last 15 years sitting in basements charting out exactly what they're going to do when a pandemic hits right. and all the all the amazing opportunities that's going to afford i'm terrified of those people i, I actually don't want them i think they're gonna they're gonna have all sorts of like really fun ideas like yeah you know no more habeas corpus and you know everybody wears their right. underwear on the outside right. so you know that kind of thing so that's deep uh, state deep science combined yeah exactly yeah anyway but uh funny stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna go make some bets but uh always fun to check in with david i it's if you if you don't 
if you're not familiar with his work, I strongly suggest you go check out Get Your War yeah. On and uh, and some other stuff that he's done in the past, How to Sharpen a Pencil. So we'll see you again next week, assuming that, uh, that we're the all- The still turning. The world's still turning. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Useful Idiots. Yeah, rate and review us. Find us wherever you find podcasts. Buy, buy merch. Buy merch. And uh, you know what? I'm beginning to get back into the old, you know. Thank you. No, don't don't listen to Pod Save America. Yeah. Do not listen to it, whatever you do. Now more than ever. All right, on that note, uh, we'll see you next week. All right. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.